0: Hey, welcome to episode 63 of the THODcast, Conversations About Animation. Hey, I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And today I'm joined by three particular individuals, also coming from elsewhere in Minnesota. Uh, First off, we've got a first time guest. I want to welcome Laura Akal to the show. Hey, Laura, how's it going?
1: Hey, it's great, it's Laura Call here, resident Little Mermaid expert.
0: <laughs> we'll be very grateful to have her expertise on this episode. Uh, also joining my brother, Dawson Elke, how's it going?
2: Good, resident not Little Mermaid expert. Although I do know a thing or two about the original Hans Christian Andersen, but we're not gonna talk about that today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also, uh, rounding out the cast, Hannah Lee Smart. Hey Hannah, how are you doing?
3: Hello so excited to be part of the world this week. Um, not a Little Mermaid expert but Little Mermaid lover. Ariel is my favorite princess and I'm so excited to have Lara and to finally do this movie. What a dream. I'm so excited.
0: Yes this is one of the heaviest hitting films that we'll talk about on this show. Um, we love our Disney animation and this Film is the 28th of the Walt Disney animated features in the official canon, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. It premiered in 1989. Let's see if we can get a, a precise release date. November 17th, I believe. That's right. <laughs> November
2: 17th. Uh, (laughs) Off to a blazing start, Laura. (laughs) Laura, sorry.
0: (laughs) She knows all the trivias. Uh, Music by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, produced by John Musker and Howard Ashman. Um, Yes, a landmark film in the history of Walt Disney Company. And we've got people here who are experts in the the, uh, subjects of Disney princesses, Uh, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales and, of course, theme parks. So I'm very happy to bring these myriad subjects to the table today while we investigate The Little Mermaid, soon to be remade for the live action silver screen, um, currently in production in England, I believe, Pinewood Studios, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, director Rob Marshall helming the project, the next in the long line of Disney animated remakes uh, and of course the last of the big four Renaissance films <laughs> that has yet to be made into a major live action adaptation uh, the rest of course being Beauty and the Beast Aladdin and the Lion King uh, so first off uh, Laura you are big into the Little mermaid and you also have to work for or you have worked for theme parks in the past um, I don't know I I, uh, I feel like the Little Mermaid was one of the most significant things to have ever happened to the Disney theme parks uh, since their inception but um, yeah what what is your whole, I don't know, experience with the film, The Little Mermaid, considering you're such uh, a fan?
1: Yeah, it is quite a long story. Um, I've always kind of grown up adjacent to the tr- to the franchise. I've had a lot of merchandise or merchandise mermaid stuff <laughs> growing up. I had a little hefty collection growing, but she never really was my favorite princess until I was in middle school. And I had a series of rather unfortunate events occur but this movie was the the thing that grounded me the thing that was my escape from all of that and it was really important really vital to me that i found it when i did and it got me out of that situation and helped me discover my voice and my passion for singing and my love of um, performing and wanting to bring joy to others in like a more non-judgmental space than where I was at before. So having this character like Ariel, she was like the older sister I never had. And it was just, it hit me in a way that like nothing else did at that time. Like I had grown up with the movie, but like, I wasn't like super into it, but like I was doing a project in school where, um, (laughs) we took a fairy tale and we like modernized it and did our own spin on it. And I was looking at all the books that we had, like with the original fairy tales and stuff. And I saw Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid and I never really interacted with the original story as much. And I read it and I was like, dang, that's depressing. <laughs> and then, and yeah, right? I mean, ooh. <laughs> And then I watched the Disney movie again. And I also watched a lot of the behind the scenes stuff because this was kind of around the time where one of the special, I think the special edition had just come out 2006, around that time. And, um, I was, I loved seeing like kind of the parallels between, um, with Hans Christian Andersen writing it back then. And then with Howard Ashman being brought on now kind of this, their, their creative spirit and how much they cared so much about this character and their lives as well. And what I didn't realize at the time, I mean, two queer creators, like, I just think that's so cool. Like, but anyway, um, mm. It was, yeah, it just was something that like hit me that was just really, really important to me and something I've carried with me for a while. And it's it's crazy that, um, I mean, in some way, because of Ariel, I've gotten to have a degree in vocal music and gotten to princess with Hannah, and, you know, and again, to yeah. do all this fun stuff that I'd never have would have even thought to have like open up to had I not opened up my karaoke one day and like tried singing out part of your world and you know the rest is history
0: (laughs) well didn't you recently interview some of the cast members from little mermaid i want to hear a little Um, about that too (laughs)
1: oh gosh it was kind of it was interesting so galaxy con as you all know the the convention it was as many conventions are this year canceled but they had to work around uh, they had this opportunity where you could do a video a voice chat a video and yeah video and voice chat with the talent that had, they had brought on board and they happened to have both Jody Benson and Christopher Daniel Barnes Eric and Ariel and Eric from Little Mermaid and my chat kind of went a little haywire as both of their tabs loaded at the same time so they were like talking like they called it the Little Mermaid conference call. It wasn't supposed to happen like that. So it was kind of, kind of weird, but we, we made it work. I just told them how appreciative I was of their work and how, just how much it meant to me. And it was just really, really validating to hear that they like hear it from them, that they were so humbled that something that they were a part of had affected me and other people so much. And, Uh, Yeah, it just, I had a whole list of questions I wanted to ask and I was, oh gosh, like too nervous to really get into the meat of all of it that I just was like, (laughs) just tears, Uh, you know, but I did get to ask uh, Chris a few questions, um, just like a lot of silly things like I asked him if he had ever dressed up as Prince Eric and done anything like that. And he said he and his wife Disney bounded actually when they went to the parks one time he did Ariel or he did, no, he did Eric and his, his wife did Ariel and, um, so, and then I also asked if he'd ever met any of the, the face characters, because I always think that's kind of interesting when the, the voice cast meets, like, the, the face mm. cast, and like, it's like you're seeing yourself, but not really, and yeah, and mm. he said he he was kind of weirded out by it at first, but he kind of came around to it, but <laughs> yeah, I... I, I know Jody's doing another one actually. Okay. Uh, with I think with Galaxy Con and with a bunch of other princesses. Paige O'Hara, who plays Belle, is gonna be there hmm. as well. I think Linda Larkin, uh speaking voice of Jasmine. I'm trying to think who else. Irene Bedard, uh Pocahontas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so they have another princess thing go- I my, <laughs> I might do it again. We'll see and get all of my questions answered. Cause I just was, I just wanted to just talk to her and let her know that mm-hmm. I was here and, you know,
0: <laughs> it's an impressive pantheon. Um, let's move on to Hannah. What, what is it? your uh, history with the little mermaid
3: um I was that kid that thought I literally was a mermaid after seeing this movie like my bathtub was overflowed I thought my toilet was like the big rock where she like (laughs) blasts off and sings like I thought it um when I was in third grade we had like a Disney themed voice recital um and It was like my biggest career moment. I'm just kidding. (laughs) To this day. Um, Yeah, I just, I love Ariel. I think that, um, you know, you can look at this story in so many different ways and like that's what stories are, right? It's like your interpretation and like how you perceive them. And I just felt like she was stuck in this world where she didn't belong and this is so cliche, but I'm from like a very small town and I was like a musical theater kid and here they tend not to love theater as much as I thought like the community should and like all these things. So I really related to her on that aspect of finding where I belonged and, you know, I don't know those things, but also through just like childhood curiosity and being like a little girl from like a small town and having that kind of The singing aspect was huge for me. Um, And then, of course, what little girl doesn't want to be like a mermaid princess? And I also think just a little tangent, and then it will be Dawson's big turn to tell us why he wanted to be Ariel as a princess. Um, But um, I always thought to myself, logistically in the Disney world, right, Ariel's the only one that's like a double princess. And Cinderella, why is she in the middle of all the pictures? Because truly, Ariel should be. Because she married a prince and she was a princess herself so really she is like the highest of the highest power in like royalty terms so like i just thought she's definitely like the queen bee or should be she definitely has the coolest life and she really like fought for what she believed in and i thought that was really cool and we all got to learn like cool words like reprimand, like as a six year old, (laughs) you're just like singing to yourself being like, mom, what does that mean? And don't do that to me. Like, she's awesome.
0: Yeah. This, uh, these movies don't really dumb down for kids at all, which is very refreshing. I mean, just going over it again for the show, I was just surprised by how tightly written this film is. And it really, um, is it didn't feel like it was a kid's movie honestly it just felt like you know a typical drama with musical numbers woven throughout um yeah not not like a typical drama but like (laughs) you know
3: um, uh,
2: a good 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 drama
3: drama. took it to the basic extremes i'm sure
2: Um, it's a it's a it's like an Heinrich ibsen play
0: (laughs) oh
1: my gosh deep cut i
0: i have a a burning question for laura though and it's a it it's silly, but like I know, we were talking about podcasts before we started the show. One of my first like podcasts that I ever got into um, was hosted by an actor named Rob Paulson, uh, known mainly for like voice acting, and he actually voiced. Uh, and I think he voices yeah. Prince Eric in a few different things. He was in the sequel, um, oh gosh, Return yeah. to the Sea. Love that. Uh, why, why didn't Christopher Barnes <laughs> return to the voice of Eric? I no,
1: I should have asked that. Oh my gosh, because. I thought I had known the reason so I it like it didn't really occur to me to ask him or like maybe I thought oh maybe this is like a sensitive question to ask but <laughs> I bet like there was probably some kind of scheduling conflict because he does a lot of other things I mean he's spider-man okay. he was doing uh Brady Bunch he was uh uh which one of he was one of the Bradys <laughs> in the Brady Bunch he, yeah, he really
0: so... is such um I don't know iconic character Prince Eric he's Oh yeah, Definitely, I mean, I'm kind of partial to Prince Philip, for no. obviously. <laughs> Um, But, you know... Eric Scott, one of the best
2: uh, Prince personalities.
0: Yeah. 100%. Good personality, yes. great hero moments. Um, <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with Rob Paulson, I mean, it's especially prescient being that uh, he's uh, the voice of Yakko Warner from uh, yeah. The Animaniacs, as well as Panky. So uh, you can see him on that show. Um, But yeah, Dawson, you, uh, you know, this is, for me, you're probably gonna come out and say, oh, Philip, you hated Little Mermaid because it's so great." Uh, How
2: did, I was wondering (laughs) if you'd remember,
0: but yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, I had a natural aversion to this film and sort of the princessiness of it that the creators were fully conscious of when they were planning on you know unrolling the film to audiences uh but they took a gamble and it it paid off i wasn't old enough at the time i mean i wasn't alive in 1989 and so my history with this film was more through like my younger sister who was big into princesses and she loved little mermaid and ariel and and to me it was just like and kind of held my nose and yeah i mean it's um you know, it was my loss, but um, it's, it's maybe, I mean, did you appreciate this movie more Dawson?
2: Well, Philip, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> yes, it is highly ironic we are here today, considering that Philip, you taught me to hate without questioning a number of things. I shall <laughs> iterate them presently. Number one, Barney. You told me that Barney was terrible <laughs> and I had to believe you. Um, it's probably also- ironically great. Uh, well, so that the the one where they find the egg and they go on a hot air balloon or whatever. I, I love that. I love that. I love okay. that film. Oh but God. I was like, and you and unironically loved it. Unironically loved it. I was like, Philip told me to hate this. So I should. <laughs> but the kid, the main character also hated Barney. So the main character in that film was like Philip. So I was like, there's something acceptable yeah. <laughs> about this in a twisted way. Um, no, but I, and that, I, that's a deep cut for me. Yeah, I, I forgot I mean, that film existed until just now as I was reiter, reiterating the thing. Wow, things Philip taught me to hate. I shall, I, I, shall I will happily my list. pay for your therapy once I can. No, no, it. I do not need therapy, Philip. I, <laughs> you, uh, um, no, I, I, I really enjoy, um, I enjoyed the process of uh, thinking about all these things and, and laughing about them. Uh, f- soccer or proper football. You taught me to hate soccer. You said soccer is a terrible sport. Um, and I believed you until I realized it's internationally the most popular and famous sport, and possibly one of the most athletic athletic activities a person can do because that field is massive, and so those people with their legs and their kickings and their headbutts—it's incredible. So it's not my favorite sport in the world to watch necessarily, but gosh, is it amazing! Do you prefer um,
0: watching it to the NFL? Uh,
2: uh, no. Well, no, because I don't. I mean, I don't like watching. I'll watch the NFL now as a social activity with people okay. who are passionate about it. I think, it, 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 well, because yeah. there are people nerd about football the way I nerd about Lord of the Rings, and that's fine. Um, so, no, I've never actually watched a full soccer game. But, like, when, when British people talk about, like, oh, you hate what Manchester did. It's like, I really wish My I was dad. part of that world, but I'm not. <laughs> so, all nice. I'm saying, no, I'm not a big soccer fan now, but you okay. told me to hate it. And then I realized I didn't have to hate it anymore. It was okay. Yeah. Um, Macs, uh, Apple products. Oh. Um, you uh, said those were terrible. I'm now using a Mac. Um, oh, nice. Uh, let's see. And then there and the Oh, um, Xbox, well, anything that wasn't PlayStation. So Nintendo and Xbox, you taught me to hate. I now own a Nintendo and an Xbox and a PlayStation oh, because see, I believe in harmony. I, um, I got through <laughs> my
0: toxic fanboy stage at thankfully an early age, uh, whereas too many adolescent men, the rest of development types, um, are still in it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so. Well, and I, and, and it, these, my revelations, they were never these traumatic experiences. It was just like, Oh, huh. Like lots of people using max. Uh, I, I have this weird, like subconscious bias against them. Like, um, Let's take a look. Oh, uh, that's unnecessary. Philip. (laughs) What a guy. Um, But yes, Little Mermaid, though.
0: Yeah, I would have been one of those people who loves Star Wars hated Star Trek type of thing. Yeah, and
2: and that's also, it's silly because, you know, yeah, (laughs) live long and prosper. Well, it's, it was, it's simply like, You know, come make up your mind for yourself on things like it's fine that it's fine that you didn't like Little Mermaid, um, but you, you know, just definitely said, like, don't, you know, watch this or care about this because it's girly. And that was fine because like, you know, I didn't I there were lots of, I suppose, girly things I I didn't want to enjoy doing for I don't know how much of my youth, but um, definitely when I was very young. And so ages, ages are going to be I don't know. I don't know them in reference to like things like when did you finally decide you liked the little mermaid? Um, uh, two, of, two of the most impactful dreams I ever had, and they weren't weird dreams. I want to get that out there right now. They weren't weird. They were just very memorable. One of them featured a mermaid and the other one featured a redhead. So Ariel was the combined package there. Um, so I always had this fondness for the, the Philip forbidden fruit. That was the little mermaid, but didn't really get into it until Samara watched constantly the sequel, the one about Melody. And again, I've returned to the sea. Um, And I would watch that with her as a guilty pleasure, actually uh, Mm -hmm. quite frequently, because I really enjoyed the characters and the villain in that one. Um, So I've I've seen that more times than I've seen The Little Mermaid itself. But yes, now, and obviously a long time ago, I realized Little Mermaid is awesome. I love the story. The most recent time I watched it was when the ABC did the musical live and I only watched it so that I could get to the animated parts. Like when they just played the movie, that was the best part of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I realized like what, a, what an incredible story. Um, what a great lesson. Uh, and even, you know, for me, for younger me and for modern me, for any person, like, you know, cons- consider your infatuations, consider your position, consider what you're willing to give up and what in and if it's worth it, um, so you know you might think that giving up your voice for something like love is a good idea, but maybe maybe not. Maybe think about it. You know, I don't know. So, so yep, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, no, that's I, it. I was a silly, anal-retentive, opinionated kid, and sometimes having negative opinions can give you the sense of you know, like a false sense of superiority. It's sort of the same way with like bullying and stuff. So. You know, it's just, I'd be incredibly wary. I learned not to be that way thanks to you. Yeah. Um, There are some things out there that are kind of crap, but at the same time, you can kind of love the things that are crap because of just how bizarre they are.
2: (laughs) Well, and are you going to think, are you going to think, are you going to enjoy thinking something's crap because Philip said so or because you took it in for yourself and then decided it was crap? I mean, that, and then, yeah. So, anyways, but you're my big brother. So, you know, a little more, <laughs> that's part.
0: The I, I mentioned theme parks earlier because, Laura, Laura, you've uh, had experience working at a theme park, not a Disney theme park, but um, I'm extraordinarily curious how they might reflect one another. But um, Minnesota is home to Nickelodeon universe at the Mall of America, and you are currently working at the Mall of America. Uh, what is it like at? Nickelodeon universe especially now that things are kind of crazy with COVID.
1: Yeah it's been interesting I mean we got laid off in March when everything shut down and there was really no foreseeable future for a while like what was going to happen like the entertainment department went from like a a couple a, a couple dozen people to just one person and and then I got a call like in early October about this holiday experience that the mall was offering that uh ended up now is going to be fully virtual with us just like being this like these actors that like guide people on this virtual tour of this like santa sciencey factory thing that they have going and then like a zoom meeting with santa it's all very different it's all very new but um uh, they're really trying to get the characters back to like they because i mean disney is finding a way to do it they're having their characters distanced and um having some unique opportunities for things like that but it's difficult when our program is not as big as theirs and we don't have as many performers as theirs so it's just yeah so but uh, my experience with Nickelodeon it was it was really great I worked with them for a couple years as a character performer and cohort and got to be friends with a lot of a lot of memorable characters from the Spongebob world the Ninja Turtles even Avatar as well so
0: yeah I mean Avatar the last Airbender, that ended in 2008 uh I'm a huge fan Dawson you know we we love the show we've talked about it on the podcast um The Legend of Korra great follow-up uh but that didn't nearly find the traction what what kind of presence does that franchise still have at the park
1: not a lot they have um there's a ride called the Avatar Airbender which is which is pretty fun but I mean right now all the rides are closed so there's really not a lot you can get like merch of some of the characters like some appas and stuff like that but um yeah Um, not a lot
0: (laughs) have you done you've done what aerial cosplay and things like that uh when when did that start for you
1: oh yeah um my princessing journey started in 2016 but actually before all of that um i mean when i was in middle school kind of getting back into this movie and finding this new influence on my life. I, I did dress up as Ariel on my own a few times and to, to varying levels of success. But um, in 2016, I it was kind of a turning point in my life. I had auditioned to play Ariel in the stage version of the show like a couple times that summer. And I'd always wow. made it to final callbacks. And never gotten it, and I would ask for feedback, and it was always something like, "You were wonderful. You would actually be really great in the role." It was just factors out of your control and out of anyone's control, really. And it's usually stuff like, "Oh, our Eric is like a foot tall, like shorter than you, or something like that." I don't know. Like, I'm not very tall, so I'm. But I'm not short either. I don't know. There was always something, but um, but it was an interesting summer in that I had this crazy opportunity. Um, That came on a whim to be able to sing any song of my choice at Carnegie Hall in New York City and I got this phone notification. I signed up for this contest on Twitter thinking I I never win anything like this is not going to happen. And then I'm like sitting at my desk job at work and I get a phone notification from Broadway star Laura Osnes. Oh. and I'm like, "Uh, what's going on?" And she she's DM to me and she says, "It's your lucky day. The person who like won had to bow out, and you said that you would, would be a viable person to step in. And it, can you come to New York tomorrow? And I was like, Oh my! Uh. God. <laughs> so I had a lot of help from family and friends to be able to get my butt over to New York City the next day. My boss was literally, it was like a hallmark moment. Like he was a family friend of mine, but I told him what was going on. He's like, go live your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, and so I flew to New York. I, um, they, they asked me like what song I wanted to do. And I'm like, oh, I know what song I'm going to do. Like the song that was the song that opened up my voice. Uh, obviously, it's never going to give you up yeah. by Rick Astin. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> it was it was part of your world obviously part of your world from the little mermaid it was the first song i ever sang in front of an audience when i was 12 and it got me into choir and musicals and so that was the one i was gonna do even though at the time i was in an opera program i actually asked my voice teacher about this i'm like would you be mad if i didn't sing like mozart or something she's like laura this song is your song like do it like i i wouldn't be mad whatever you sang so so I went to New York and I, I did this performance and it was like one of the most incredible moments of my life. And nice. like, yeah. So, and then from there I, I, I had always had this um, infatuation with wanting to be, like, a face character for Disney or a singing character, as well as, like, the characters in their um, Broadway shows and whatnot. And I was kind of looking into what opportunities I had locally, and I had heard of Pretty Princess Parties, and I was seeing that they were hiring. Oh, and actually, for the past few years besides that, uh, I had been messaging Jody, Jody Pulaski, the owner, about possibly joining. joining. <laughs> and um, we had been kind of in emails back and forth for a few years, but nothing had really come about it but um this year was just kind of the year that it happened and yeah and so that's when i first started kind of dressing as her and other characters as well and getting to hang out with lovely princess friends
0: (laughs) nice well speaking of jody has since messaged us she wasn't able to come on the show tonight unfortunately but um, um we'll be back talking more little mermaid with her down the road um but yeah she uh you know, she loves her princesses <laughs> and uh, yeah, pretty princess parties has been uh, very influential, you know, throughout the, the country. In fact, just um, putting on these events with uh with the characters in costume. Hannah, what um, have you ever done aerial cosplay? Um, yeah.
3: So um, with Uh, Pretty Princess Parties being like the number one children's associated um, non-affiliated brand through the country. Um, We've had lots of opportunities and um, my position there is more of like helping with casting and I perform too. So there's been several times where I've had to kind of like jump into different characters. Um, So usually she's not my girl, but I have had to be here for different things, especially when we need um, like a consistent singer and stuff like that. It's like you trust yourself first sometimes. Um, So there's been that stuff. Um, It's hard for me because she's my favorite princess. And I don't think, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and realize that other people are better suited. Um, But yeah, I've been her a few billion times. (laughs)
0: Yeah, um, Oh, the, with the whole cat. Okay, I remember what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> and you made me think of it because of the whole casting process, Laura, that you had to go through. And the fact that like Howard Ashman's previous, what was it his previous Broadway endeavor? One of his previous Broadway endeavors was this show called Smile starring mm-hmm. Jody Benson, which is about a beauty pageant and about all the drama involved in that. Are you guys at all familiar with that story?
1: Yeah, I, I've used uh, Disneyland from Smile as an audition song for Ariel, which got me a call back a couple of times. It's it's a classic nice. part of my book as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in my
3: rep book. Yes. <laughs> Laura and I have a similar yeah. <laughs> uh, vocal range sometimes. <laughs>
2: So what if you both auditioned for Ariel love somewhere it. and both got called back? How'd you feel about that? Well,
1: I would just I love it. <laughs> As usually, uh, I would love to see you play her though. I, I feel like you'd be really good. Isn't like, that isn't
2: real. casting sucks for that reason? Like it comes down to there are ten women in a room. They all look roughly the same. All sound roughly equally beautiful in different ways. And then some director just has to go, ah, uh, uh, um, that one.
3: But you know what? I would rather play Ursula in the musical Little Mermaid because I think she's way more fun. Um, And as I've Mm -hmm. gotten older, my type is definitely like the ingenue. But I think it's so much more fun to play characters like that where I would probably like dip out and try to like be the villain for fun.
2: Ursula is so cool. (laughs) I know that's a basic thing to say. She's
3: amazing. singing for unfortunate souls would be hilarious. (sighs) Yes
2: yeah
0: um so moving on to the film proper um first thing i saw when i played the little mermaid on disney plus the the old uh, studio logo has been replaced by the big Damn cgi man. castle yeah, which weird. i'm not
2: the biggest fan of Couldn't they um, at least have just made at atlantica and done like a whole under the sea version
1: that would be so cool. Yeah, maybe for the live action, they might do something like that. I,
2: and I, I, do want to say, Hannah, how Ariel should be like the the high queen of the um, mm. of the lesser duchesses of the, of the yeah. Disney court. Um, yeah, yeah, I would I would back that up. Um, I mean, 100%,
3: yes. It,
2: it's Atlanta. It's not Atlantis. It's Atlantica. Yeah. But that basically, anyway. Yeah.
3: Like Milo actually so didn't find her. He found a different.
2: No, he found <laughs> some yeah, other some <laughs> <laughs> uh, Atlantica won the war with Atlantis.
3: They're Keep <laughs> all their stuff <laughs> and put it in the grotto.
2: Yeah, so this film
0: was the follow up to Oliver and Company, right? uh we we had we talked about black cauldron a few weeks back that was Mm -hmm. 1985 then the year following um the directors of this film clements and musker released the great mouse detective um and that was fairly well regarded and then yeah disney company followed with uh oliver and company i'm not sure the year exactly uh but that involved music from uh, billy joel Drowning Orphan um, Cat kind of a adaptation yeah adaptation of Oliver twist and um yeah the the animation was undergoing a bit of a resurgence um, but not quite as you know catapultingly successful as what um little mermaid would become but this was the entry point for Alan Macon and Howard Ashman who had worked together on uh, The Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, you guys familiar with The with, uh, Little Shop of Horrors? A film directed by hey. Frank Oz, also uh, based on the musical by so Macon Ashman. good.
1: Although the movie has a different ending and that upsets me sometimes.
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, what, I guess the movie was... What late 80s as well um Mm -hmm. anyway i mean there's a lot we could delve into in with the uh, context but one thing i thought was funny from the um a documentary that that i watched leading up to this uh, um i don't know if you guys checked that out um the uh There was this interesting quote, I think it was Ron Clements, who was talking about how the culture at Disney was kind of one of just a very uptight, um, very wanting to appeal to families, to like a more conservative crowd. And one of the CEOs uh, previously was quoted as having said, like, um, we won't. Or we may bore you, but at least we'll never shock you. I thought that was an interesting quote coming from... The same person um, who made Black Cauldron? <laughs> well, just a, a major figure in Hollywood. Like, I'm, I'm guessing this may have been CEO... um Crap, Don. Uh, I, I'd have to pull up his name again. I don't... There there were a few successive CEOs before... um what's his name came in um
1: michael eisner michael eisner before him
0: yeah mm-hmm. um and they were e carden walker and ron miller uh, but ah. before uh walker and miller there was a guy who was in for a long time don tatum um, right. and he was ceo from like 1976 to 1983 i wouldn't be surprised if it was him like Trying to quell any fears that Disney would be like, you know, joining the Hollywood trend of like more shocking content, you know, appealing to, I don't know, more of a.
2: a... She almost didn't have the seashells. <laughs> did did you read that? Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. didn't read that, gosh, but. <laughs> if... If they Disney is not family anymore, it's uh, I mean, I don't know of any animation studios that aren't family friendly in nature by name, so uh huh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, the uh,
0: adultification of Hollywood in the 70s was maybe a concern to you know various forces within American culture. Uh, you hear the same kind of griping nowadays, too, with like the the balance between keeping things safe for kids or for more sensitive sensibilities and wanting to, um, you know, be, appeal to adults who, who are comfortable with more mature content in their films. Um, and this really strikes, I think, an impressive balance uh, appealing to to all ages. Um, and yeah, the, they brought in kind of a Maverick um, producer in Jeffrey Katzenberg to head up the uh, Walt Disney Studios uh, during the reign of Michael Eisner. Um, and, and these guys weren't you know, like, they, they weren't from Disney. They weren't from the Disney uh, family or anything like Ron Miller who whom Eisner replaced was Walt Disney's son-in-law and um, now things were kind of expected to really be shaken up because Disney was undergoing some tough times in the early 80s and they needed to reform Eisner was the CEO at Paramount so injecting some fresh Hollywood blood into the company was seen as like a a way to, for the company to survive. Um, Yeah. And and then we get this uh, injection of new talent from Ashman and Musker, you know, guys who are familiar with the the more gauche world of Broadway musicals and uh, you know, sort of body comedies that uh, um, permeated that whole scene. and, and they they took what they knew from that uh, experience and combined it with classic uh, Disney fairy tale storytelling and kind of in, had the a little bit more um, family oriented sensibilities of uh, like the midwestern. Uh, I think I think Ron Clements and John Musker, if they're not from the Midwest, they kind of have that more down home style about them um, to keep things sort of more in that um, that vein. Um, And yeah, it just ended up being kind of the perfect melding of talent and styles. And um, the film ended up grossing around a half a billion dollars adjusted for inflation worldwide. Jody Benson was the voice of Ariel, uh, returning from a previous Howard Ashman project, the aforementioned Broadway musical Smile. Uh, and that was short-lived uh, because the show was not very well reviewed, um, but yeah, she definitely brought a certain charm to the role. Um, what do you guys think? What's, um, what's your take on this new era of Disney princess kind of ushered in by Jody Benson.
1: I love it. I, I think I, a lot of credit credit has to be given to Howard Ashman with, he does, he did this crazy long lecture for all the animators about how musicals work and like their, whole structures and how the leading lady the ingenue is gonna always have this song that he liked to call the I want song and it's gonna be in a different setting every time like he's he likes to say like how in my fair lady Eliza Doolittle she sits on the steps of the Covent garden or Audrey she's like you know like by a trash can doing somewhere there's somewhere that's green and he says like if we can have that moment where the the audience gets to see inside of the mind of the, their leading character and gets to see their their dreams, their wants, their desires, their motivation and they through that moment they can root for them the entire night. I think that was hugely instrumental to the structure of Disney princesses going forward and what their personalities and what their music especially is going to be like. I mean, we wouldn't have let it go or any of that without part of your world kind of laying the groundwork and so I think it's it's it was a huge huge influence and definitely something that was <laughs> that Disney took and ran with and really went and went and how can we adapt this in different settings and how can we make it different interesting every time and yeah I just mm-hmm. I love how it was implemented here
0: yeah um, you mentioned some like there were two queer people behind the creation of uh, little Mervin, I'm just trying to remember who the other besides oh,
1: um, Hans Christian Andersen himself oh yeah
0: oh, no way yeah
1: he actually the original story and they don't talk about this a lot in some of the documentaries because some of the documentaries are homophobic sure but um, they he had an unrequited love for a friend of his and You know, and it was a whole thing. And he, he found, he found a lot of himself in this character of this lonely mermaid (laughs) who didn't fit in with this world and, and wanted somewhere else to be where she knew she truly belonged. And I just, I just love that allegory. And, um, and I know it's a story that a lot of queer people look up to and, Mm -hmm. um, and they see themselves in. And I just, I, I don't know, It just, it hits different. It's, it's really, it touches my heart.
0: Hmm. I think it was last night we, my parents and I uh, were watching some movies on Disney Plus, but the first thing we watched was the Apple Dumpling Gang. And, um, you know, speaking of like, uh, more uh, puritanical sensibilities or whatever you want to call it, like, it, it's a good film. It. It did me the favor of lulling me to sleep, which I can always <laughs> appreciate. Uh, but yeah, that being a film from 1975, the Walt Disney Company. I mean, it it looked good. It it was enjoyable, but yeah, definitely very safe. Um, but the Little Mermaid, you know, it's so
2: edgy. It's. Uh, I'm no, <laughs> it is a little I, I'm yes. curious I mean, what you're getting at here. Like That's some
1: 80s I, edge. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's well, like you, you go to hot topic, you see it all over the place. You I mean, so it does have a little bit of an edge to it. Certainly um, it's, you know, teenagers love these films. So like there there's a way to hit that sweet spot. And it's pretty impressive that that they.
2: um Yeah, I mean, right I, I think it hits that sweet spot exactly because it's not like you know, it's, it's not a film about the war between teens and their parents and the teens win. It's a, it's a story about the complexity of, um, desire and, uh, tradition and family and parents and children and how complicated that whole process is. And then there's a, a resolution where kind of everyone wins, um, or, you know, people realize things about themselves and then they, you know, they change. Triton has an arc. Ariel has an arc um Eric I, I think well he has an arc too and you know Sebastian has an you know yeah, Sebastian lots, as well uh, yeah. Flounder <laughs> has an man. arc yeah. sorry can't can't get with the mermaid girl Flounder sorry um you know to to dumb it down but anyway <laughs> they they got a good
0: uh a good kid to voice Flounder um, I, I don't know if you guys know Jacob Tremblay who's in like all the things. He's the kid they oh, cast. Yeah,
1: yeah, in, yeah, the
0: yeah. from Room and um what was it? The he was in that um Doctor Sleep <laughs> movie briefly. Um he, he's in a bunch of stuff, but like um I they got him to record a bunch of dialogue over the summer, I think, for the new one so, so <laughs> yeah. before his voice changes too drastically. Um yeah, this uh this was the last film, speaking of like d- digital logos and such, um, this movie wasn't animated using Pixar's computer animation production software, CAPS. Um, the, the follow-up to this from the studio, Rescuers Down Under would be the first to all be inked and colored within a computer. But um, to me, like you can kind of tell a difference when it's done using analog and, and done in a computer, especially in like the early days of computer animation, um, you know, everything's very clean and like, you know, they had to keep things pretty simple, um, but still, it still looks good. Um, I just, there's something magical about the traditional analog style for me. And I, I felt this way when watching Fern Gully, Uh, which was 1992, but like they clearly didn't um, import all the images into a computer before they colored them. It was done on, you know, actual celluloid. Um, And I don't know, it's, there's just something lost, I feel, when it's, when it's too perfect. I don't know if you, you guys feel that at all. You know, do you, is that something you notice? Because this movie does look very clean and it's been remastered a lot. So I don't know if, if you guys find a discernible difference between the look of this film and say like Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin.
1: Yeah, I like how um, there are a lot of moments where it looks a little rough around mm-hmm. the edges, not completely, but it's like, it's still clean, but like it's got a little, you can see like the hand strokes that kind mm-hmm. of went into it. And, and I like that this is one of the earlier Disney films to kind of experiment with the, the computer, a little bit of computer stuff too yep. in a few scenes, like the, um, in, the, in the ship, uh, the ship at uh, storm, uh, the stair was mm-hmm. when Ariel's running down towards the end. And then the scene where Ursula's getting bigger, there's mm-hmm. also kind of, they've, they've made some computer stuff there. So it, it's fun to kind of see that early dip into that type of technology
0: yeah yeah they use you know computer vectors to create some of those elements like the ship and i think like the giant kaiju ursula Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) um yeah so i mean this we all know the story i i don't know how similar it is to like the original book or whatever but like um ariel's one of many daughters of king triton and um does he have any sons? I mean, these these people—they must breed like fish too, or something. With all the kids that he has, uh, well, yeah. Who's their mother? I I think there's like a direct-to-video spin-off that talks hey, about. Oh watch. yeah, yeah, that's
1: but, the third one. Uh, you never one. heard of
2: um, ancient monarchs having numerous, sometimes absurdly numerous children? <laughs> they didn't bother to get into that in this, you know, ninety-minute. Triton was the Chingus Khan of the sea. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. No, Triton's a great guy. I love Triton. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> he seems like a cool dude. And I mean, he trying
2: to figure yeah. it out how to raise daughters. Yeah. Raising yeah. daughters, I hear, is hard. A little, <laughs> a, a little authoritarian. Yeah. At times, but, yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, but he knows it.
2: I, I love that. Like he's not this yeah. complete dick until he turns around. Pardon my use, but he like <laughs> he he chooses her out and then he goes, oh, Sebastian. Buddy, I'm, he's having a Miller with his buddy, Sebastian at the bar and says, I just, my daughter, I love her so much. Was I too hard on her now? Nah, well, you know, he knows, he knows he's not perfect.
1: Yeah. And he's, um, yeah. Then he
2: dumps
0: the duty off to him. At, yeah. To
1: <laughs> yeah. And all he wanted to do was <laughs> <is> write music. <laughs> yeah. <not>.
0: This <laughs> opens tenant style on, in a concert hall, uh, with, uh, all of, um, I Sebastian, you know, you get to hear Horatio Sebastian's ridiculously long name, and he's the conductor of this Thelonious orchestra. Thelonious. <laughs> oh, you probably know it, uh, Laura. <laughs>
1: what is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> Horatio Thelonious Ignatius Crustaceus, Sebastian. Nice. <laughs> long uh, name. <laughs> well,
0: Ariel, he mentions that Ariel's kind of negligent in her rehearsals, but we also learned that uh, she doesn't even like to show up to performances sometimes. And she's off um, finding collectibles and showing them to uh, what's his name? The, the seagull the scuttle voiced by buddy Hackett, who I wonder if he's doing any ad libs here, like the non. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> he did. A, he did a lot of random ad libs and yeah, he, he's just, he's probably next to Ariel. That's my favorite character. I, I love the certain twists on words that he does. Like, I love that he says violet instead of voila. Like, it's it's just so fun to listen to. I, I never tire, and I always laugh at, like, a bunch of his lines.
0: Dinglehoppers <laughs> and snarfblats and who's it's and what's it's and uh, thingamabobs. Um, yeah, and, and some of that stuff, like, comes in later, where <laughs> uh, Ariel sees Eric on the deck of the ship, and he's like, he's playing... A (laughs) hopper. He's playing a flute or a snarf bladder, bladder, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, Hannah, how... Does Ariel's arc make sense? Or is she a little, I don't know, underwritten as a character in any way? Some people, I think, complain that she doesn't have, I don't know, enough agency as a Um, princess.
3: The only real negatives that I... Because... (laughs) I love how I get to hear everyone's opinions about every princess ever made and how it's negatively affecting their little baby. So um, (laughs) the negatives Mm. that I hear about Ariel as a character is as much as I see her as like a strong independent person that's kind of um, truly like the black sheep of her family kind of deferring from social norms and like becoming her own person. The other side of the argument is the um, Dawson kind of like touched on this earlier. It's like people see her and I guess this is also a thing um, where she gave up her voice for a boy and she does all of these things and puts herself in grave danger just to get someone to like her and he doesn't even like her because she can't talk. And so we hear those things. And I don't think that's necessarily something that is her character being underdeveloped or underarcing at all if anything it's actually propelling her character forward and giving her more hurdles to overcome but i think um those are things that i think are misconstrued and honestly in some rates like i definitely do see where someone could think that and i do kind of understand both sides right um but yeah I think...
2: if i oh sorry i don't no, i don't no, no,
3: know i think that's just um It's easy to see both sides and it takes a lot of realizing that character's development in your head. And I'm not sure if that's just like my actor, like research side where I've seen this character my whole life. So like, I want to further my knowledge in her or if it's like my independent woman side, thinking to myself, Ariel truly. um, So there's like Ariel and Belle, who we kind of like vaguely touched on this before as well they kind of changed the princess game we wouldn't have Mm -hmm. all of these independent characters if we had cinderella and aurora in every single movie like it wouldn't exist because those are women that take their kind of place in line per se in the era that they were made in but if you truly think about it in 1989 women's voices are definitely not that they are today and what they're evolving to become today. So Little Mermaid for its time, if perceived the way I perceive it, is very ahead of the curve.
0: Sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I wrote my senior thesis in undergrad kind of as a defense of ariel among wow. other things and one thing that i love that um she gets to portray through her character in, in her song part of your world um but also it's kind of a pet vive that i have about the song which is weird because it's my favorite song um it's a song that's not about a person it's about what she loves and she's kind of her character, she's like this anthropologist, yeah. like that's what I like to call her. She's, She collects all this data on human stuff. She gets things, she gets them appraised by Scuttle. She's constantly craving that knowledge, like that's so important to her. And because this is the, the world that she truly believes she belongs in. And so she wants to know everything about it and how to get there. And that's where, um, and that's where her song comes in. And I, it's called the part of your world. And my theory is, I have a couple of theories. Uh, one of my theories is that they titled it that for like award bait, but they didn't get nominated for anything. So, but my other theory that I like a lot better is that us, like the human audience, we're the world that she wants mm-hmm. to be a part of. So it's like, she's inviting us to her world um, through this monologue that happens to be set to music as Jody likes to call it. Um, and it's just a really, it's a cool way of just hearing her out and all of her desires and having a character that is so like, written to have this really clear motivation like and it's fine i mean that's the thing with disney like it's fine to have motivation in romance like they have a lot of films that are like that but and a lot of people think that the little mermaid like her main motivation ariel's main motivation is that romance but i find it secondary because um especially when you think of how long she's been building that collection like she's probably had it for years like since she was maybe like 14 or maybe younger so just collecting stuff so that's i i just i just love that moment to i yeah i could go on and on about it but it's so special yeah i yeah i would
2: agree and i and i just want to say when i um said that um you know when when i think of it as an interesting story about you know considering what what do you love and what would you give up for it i by no means am yeah, i saying yeah. a, a, taking agency away or anything i mean she
1: oh no yeah she may I, <laughs> I yeah, right, well yeah. hannah
2: just yeah i i she makes well i i mean i you've you've both talked wonderfully about um how great the story is so i i don't have necessarily a whole lot to add um Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's a rather under de- underdeveloped idea um on their part uh, cuz she's making a very strong choice. Um and yeah. yeah. and Oh, and I think and, and like, that yeah, Craig, making the point right. of,
3: like Eric, making uh, the, the another not thing I noticed is she is giving he that up for love, but I think very that, like, much some was interested
2: and and things. would have fallen in love for, with her if not for the witch yeah. coming up, you know, cuz the witch had a it was a backhanded deal cuz the witch knew mm-hmm. full well that like yeah, this guy, you know, he you can, he can fall in love with a, a, a mute woman, no problem. So I gotta get up there and sneak around and do my sneaky thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> the, you know, and he still that like clearly that. was like more interested in Ariel, but outside tertiary forces were, you know, mm. driving him and the, the yeah. black haired evil lady together. But um, <laughs> no, uh, did I have anything? No, uh, but yeah, part of your world's amazing because you know, who hasn't yeah. like wanted to <laughs> escape? Into something else, um, you know, another world or another place, another time, Um, and uh, and that's and I actually I I just whatever the the I haven't seen the sequel long enough to say whether it's a great film or anything, but Mm -hmm. I do love that symmetry that then her child Mm -hmm. looks back at the sea and says I want to escape to that because well it's Mm -hmm. it just it's so important to well one thing part of your world does that. I always thought was interesting was, you know, yeah, this magical creature, a mermaid, something to humanize is incredibly special, incredibly rare. She lives with chill fishes who play music and like Sebastian Song, he's talking about how great it is under the sea. And as a human, I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I'd love to be a part of that world. Um, But then she talks about what's so great about being human. And I mean, if you, maybe if you are a human stuck in the world and you think it's boring and you'd rather escape to something more magical, um, Mm -hmm. it maybe teaches you to count your blessings, I guess. Be grateful for what you have, you know? The fact, every every time she says, you know, what do you call them, feet? And it's like, oh yeah, the fact that we have feet, we can move, we can dance. Like that's, it awakens you to the miracle of existence, frankly.
0: You have you find this archetype in the story of the prince and the pauper, uh, and that kind of plays into the Aladdin as well. You know, Jasmine mm-hmm. wants to know what life is like outside the castle walls. You want what you don't uh, got. Yeah. yeah. So Ariel, you'd think she's this girl who has got everything. Uh, she lives in this technicolor world of undersea life, and it seems so vibrant and wonderful. But um, she's she's kind of seen it all and wants to move on to something new, especially I think being the youngest child, too, she maybe feels a little excluded. And so I could see how that would allow certain obsessions to sort of foster. And she just, yeah, that anthropological sensibility of hers just takes over
2: and she'll give anything to pursue her Then she moves into the castle and the IRS comes by and says, my lords, the levies have been bad this year. What with the harvest and all. So I'm afraid revenue is not sufficient to cover the expenses on your castle. We're going to have to repossess a number of this and sell it to the Duke of Germany. And um, (laughs) and she's like, what taxes? We didn't have fish taxes. What's going on here? Being human sucks.
1: Reality sets (laughs) in. Ah,
2: Prince Eric, how's the war with the Duchy of Westermorhausen? I don't know.
1: Princess Glowerhaven glower and all that that's
0: the things that we sacrifice for our passion I mean people who move from you know small towns to big city like New York or la trying to pursue their dreams I think it's a
2: similar fish out of water <laughs> literally situation <laughs> I'm 26 and I've gone through the full 180 and I might go through the through it again like because I you know I, <laughs> 720 360 because I was like get me out of the small town get me in the city and I'm like mm. get me out of the city this is way too crowded mm-hmm. and claustrophobic Interesting. Um, but oh, if I moved out into the woods, then I might be like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just need to own multiple yeah. properties. <laughs> That's like Ariel oh, and yeah. Eric, probably. Right. I'm sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> castles all over. Mm-hmm. Princess oh, of Glowerhaven.
0: You hear a reference yeah. to another kingdom, which is kind of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. That was my username on a forum I joined a long time ago. <laughs> That's, oh, easy. yeah. Deep cut. <laughs> Look, I was going to say this one thing. There's a scene that in the ABC live version, you know, they truncated the movie to make room for all of the live spectacle. The and I'm so mad that they cut this one scene. Oh. Um, so during the the shark chase, you know, Ariel has this very split second decision. Her bag full of her newfound dinglehopper and snarf has fallen. Mm-hmm. And she has to make a choice. Do I go out of harm's way away from the shark or do I get this punk of junk which she Mm -hmm. views as her treasures and I think it's such a telling moment where she doesn't even take a second she's like I'm going for the stuff like this Mm -hmm. is and then it's not just stuff like this is her passion and Mm -hmm. so when that scene was cut I was like oh no (laughs) like it's such a, a strong establishing moment that I'm not not everyone sees but I always appreciate it as kind of a a, almost like a Chekhov's gun for what's going to happen later on and in, in the in the story is like a foreshadowing yeah. of bigger sacrifices she'll have to make not just you know I mean that she's kind of sacrificing her life in that moment uh, but she does it multiple times in the movie and that's where it begins
0: yeah lots of Chekhov's guns in this film the setups pay that pay off later I mean even like the ship that goes down at the beginning of the yeah. film. Like, I wonder if yeah. it's the same
2: ship. I suppose I it's possible. I wonder,
1: yeah, but, uh, I, yeah.
2: Chekhov's trident, gotta <laughs> trident. He and better use that darn Chekhov's ship. Chekhov's um, poison evil, like the, the little slave guys oh, that yeah, Ursula's got. Oh the
1: polyps, oh gosh, yeah. terrifying.
2: Okay,
0: yeah, that's what they're called, the polyps, the, uh, the little barnacle people. The Watching swords. everyone turn into them. <sighs> um, oh. Let's see, Oliver and Company was released in 1988, the same did year I, as uh, another,
1: yeah, or, yeah, Yeah.
0: well the same year as, uh, I was going to say, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which yeah, was
1: effort. yeah. Yeah. an um,
0: but nothing in 87, I don't think, um, yeah, these uh, were some exciting times in the industry and no one thought that animation would become a big business back in the mid 80s but you know katzenberg um really kind of turned that around Uh, peter schneider he was the head of feature animation at disney uh, kind of fostering this whole uh reformation and like they had left the main lot to a bunch of like warehouses in Glendale, uh, the <laughs> neighboring <Street>. state, <laughs> Flower yeah. Street. Um, I've been to that. Student- oh yeah. Uh, I mean, not the like trailer houses that they were set up in, but in the new studio that they built on mm, that site. I've
1: seen it. I haven't yeah. been inside, but I've always wanted to.
0: <laughs> Disney Toon Studios is what mm. that became. And then now, of course, Disney Animation has their <laughs> giant you know, palatial studio now on Riverside Avenue once again. Mm-hmm. So um, they're back in some sweet digs. Um, I, I actually visited that. I've I probably bragged about this too much on the show, but uh, I was there last year. Um, it's it's kind of a rare treat to be able to tour the Walt Disney Animation Studios. It really was magical with all the wow. art that they have on display, and yeah, it's a uh, it was a fun time, shall we say? Um, let's see. I think I saw Clements there when I was there. Uh, oh No Clemens. way. Yeah, oh, uh, I've. I've met Ron and John a few times at some some screenings. Yeah, Yeah. you, Laura, have you ever?
1: Um, funny enough, um, on the 17th when I posted my, um, Jody and Chris meeting thing, um, a lot of, the, I happen to be Facebook friends with a lot of Little Mermaid people because I'm crazy and I look them up on Facebook and then oh, they sure. add me back, which is weird. But, um, John Musker posted this thing about like a retrospective on the Little Mermaid and I commented, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Ariel means so much to me. I sang her song at Carnegie Hall. He watched my video and he said, he said it was a lovely interpretation of Howard and Ellen's song. And I was like, uh, just like dying I'm like wow the director and producer of this film Liked my area That's crazy But yeah that's, awesome. that's the only interaction I've ever had with them But yeah
0: yeah. And some unforgettable hits that they've made over the years And even some sort of Underrated films too I mean I don't know Treasure Planet was a box office disappointment But I feel like in the hearts of Disney fans It holds a pretty prominent place um, Uh, You know, they did Hercules, they did uh, Princess and the Frog, Moana, uh, and they've always been a a duo. Neither of them have. Yeah. Yeah. um,
1: Ron John.
0: Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a movie with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt or something? Ron John. Don John. Don John. Okay.
2: Uh, Ron John uh, is a surf shop.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah.
1: I'm like, I know that sounds familiar. Um,
0: They did Aladdin, of course. Um, Yeah. But, um, back on the the subject of like changing the scenery for the studio and and that I think a lot uh, allowed a lot of creative um talent to kind of come through when it they they really had a bit of a major shake up um, you know around this time and the Walt Disney Company had to come to grips with the fact that animation was the core of their entire operation, even though there were some trends toward moving away from animation entirely in the early eighties, which would have been a huge mistake. Um, I, yeah, I, I feel like the parks, you know, they, they hadn't probably featured a ton of elements from like any of the recent films. And you saw that same phenomenon with, um, like the, 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 Films in the waning days of the Disney renaissance into the early 2000s where like, you know, Bob Iger talks about walking around the parks and seeing only films from like the golden ages of Mm. Disney animation. And like, you know, where's our chicken little floats and our, uh, you know, the meet the Robinsons and Uh, like, you you don't see any of those. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that'd be cool. But those characters rarely show up. Meet The the Robinsons doesn't doesn't need to be anywhere. (laughs)
1: Ah. <laughs> I like the the buller hat man at least uh, the uh, Halloween yes. stuff. He's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um yeah, so this was a, a much needed um injection of magic. Um Little Mermaid's been all of the parks. Uh I don't know. There's the the song that has always kind of haunted me is Under the Sea. Uh, because it's just so like oh, pit, catchy. It. I and, well, it's okay. I mean, it's very well written, but it's almost too well composed. Because it, it's, I feel like probably similar to the experience of taking meth, where like once or twice, and it's, it's just stuck with you. You can't get it it's out an of earworm, your
1: brain. Earworm for sure. It,
2: Sometimes there are sure. songs that are so good, I'm embarrassed by how good they are and like how I, how I feel about them. It's mm-hmm. the like ultimate all... earworm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just the the lyric lyricism that's in it like the fun rhyming and then like i like the fact that like they write clever songs but like you can tell that they're not trying too hard Mm -hmm. like it's just natural for them like i just i think that's so cool that like effortless Mm -hmm. like it's it can be sung by children and adults and they don't have to think too hard about like remembering the lyrics they just come to you and like and then you think about it later and you're like oh my gosh that rhyme scheme was really complex and like those words like what hannah was saying earlier with like reprimand like those words and stuff like i just yeah it's it's really? great
0: shout out to samuel e wright the voice of good old seb
1: yeah
2: Philip, so what do you hate more? I just can't wait to be king or Under the Sea? What? The um, I I I still don't care
0: for I just can't wait to be king. I I've warmed up to problem, Under the Sea. Man. Yeah. I
3: cannot believe it. I love those songs. And Under the Sea, you could literally walk on a school bus of like people of all ages and go doo 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 and the crowd would go wild.
0: Yeah. It kind of has the ring of one of those early childhood songs like wheels on the bus go round and round. I mean, <laughs> any a, a kid
2: any time a kid sings a, tong- a song to it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: You guys, um, this
2: is Any my other whole
3: in, life. what? Any
2: this? other guilty pleasure <laughs> songs sorry. for
0: you, Dawson? Any other
2: example? um I can't decide whether Where Are You Christmas is the worst or greatest oh. song of all the time. Stop! Um from, I feel from you the that. Ron Howard <laughs> Grinch movie. Uh, I hate the adult version at the end, but when Cindy, because when Cindy Lou, when it comes on in the movie, I'm I'm always like, this sucks.
3: It's a sad moment. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I used to, like, my parents used to cart me around to sing that song. <laughs> Stop. Oh, oh my gosh, I, I love it.
2: I, I love <laughs> that so dad. much.
3: Dawson! Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> it's so pure, it's so genuine, it's so perfect, but Perfect. It's so. That's what I mean. Where I'm like, it's so good, and I feel so much that I'm embarrassed by how much yeah. I feel. On so, the flip side, no
0: <laughs>
1: that's right. understandable.
2: Um, On the flip
0: side, poor unfortunate souls was genuinely oh, terrifying. Oh, yes.
1: So good. I love that it's set up like like a Kurt Vile cabaret kind of song. Like I just, I love that we're digging into these old references that kids would probably have nothing to do with but like mm-hmm. it's musical theater fans are like listening and you're like yes yeah. so like boom 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 yeah. boom but like you hear <laughs> that line, you're like oh this is gonna be a good song yeah Ugh.
0: pat carroll what what else is she known for
1: she was a comedian in like the 50s and 60s she did a lot of guest appearances on shows i can't remember i've i can't remember the exact ones but she's always had a really great gift for improv and comedy and it really comes out in her Ursula and and I love that she along with a lot of the other voice talent in this movie I mean me singing the praises of Howard Ashman again they they credit a lot of their their um uh, roles to how Howard interpreted them and they're like yeah I literally just straight up stole what he did and made it my own and I'm like that's cool and yeah. that and he was hoping that they would too I love
0: that about <laughs> Ursula
1: based on uh, a drag queen yeah divine who was uh edna turblad in the original john waters hairspray oh. which i think is interesting like um with hairspray becoming a musical later i always think like had howard ashman survived longer maybe he would have been the one to write hairspray and if that would have been any different because he's from the same area of baltimore that john waters is and so i i just yeah.
3: thought about that today i'm like what would that musical be like Yeah, like it's so crazy. His um, connection would have been there at least. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, John Waters showing up in a Disney documentary here. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Treasures Untold: The Making of the Little Mermaid was this documentary. we, I, you may be watched too, Laura, because yeah. uh, I remember that part where they're mm-hmm. talking about like basically just lifting notes from Howard Ashman and him being like, yeah, that's I'm glad. I'm glad you're stealing the uh, yeah. the cues that that I'm giving you to use in the film because though they're, you know, they're just genuinely great ideas and the best idea should win the day. Um, there was another moment from that um that i was gonna bring up too let's see i I might have to pause the show here to to remember it um it was having to do with um something (laughs) oh let's see if i can think of it pat carroll oh oh it's um (laughs) pat carroll made the quip that she's not an octopus she's a squid because she only has six tentacles but she, she has six tentacles, but then two, two arms. arms. Yeah. <laughs> so she's It's she, like Squidward,
1: kind of. Yeah. She,
0: she qualifies as an octopus in my book because she
2: has we'll eight limbs. We'll count it. Eight appendages.
1: Well, it's she fine. She looked
2: like an octopus and not like a squid. <laughs> that's. Squids true. are long and skinny. Octopuses are. But blobby.
3: She's not an octopus or a squid. She's a witch.
2: Well, there we That's true. Octo-witch. That's
3: it right there. Sea witch. <laughs> Phillips,
1: of
0: He's like,
2: you're no, you're can No, you're right. He's gonna no, no, you're right. That is the
1: ultimate interpretation. Yeah. And
0: and I like the Sea Witch. The, the image mm-hmm. of like a merperson person who doesn't have the traditional fin, but rather tentacles.
3: Well, and striking... like it frightens her brother. Yeah.
1: Oh gosh, in the Broadway.
2: Hmm. <laughs> my my theory is the tentacles are a sign of corruption that mm-hmm. um, either a either form she chose, like she could maybe take on multiple forms or she chose mm-hmm. that form or like um, she lost the, the goodly mm-hmm. golden tentacle she once had and it was I replaced wonder, with black tentacles. There's, and... I
3: wonder if it's like a Snow White Witch thing where like she was ugly. <laughs> or she was, yeah. <laughs> or like a curse on her for like Triton, did that to her because of what she had done. The exile and everything, yeah. I, I
1: read from one of the animators that her original, I don't know how canon this is, but one of the animators said that her original form was Vanessa, the brown haired maiden that we see later on. And mm. then she, when she goes into exile, something happened there where she got bewitched and becomes the Ursula that we know. But I don't know if that's like super
3: yeah. canon or not. She but made I a pact the with theory. Cthulhu. That could there totally be like very like fanfic. I guess <laughs> that I was right. Vanessa was like, so when you look at what Eric sees when Ariel's like singing to him and like oh, a her hair, kind of brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always thought that Ursula either A, put that image in his head or B, knows that that's how he saw her and knew that she could get away with brown hair because red hair would obviously be too obvious and very confusing as a kid's movie. That's so a great theory. thought of like, she saw his vision of her, and melded Vanessa to be enough of those qualities where he wouldn't second guess it because it was the mm. same voice.
2: Hmm. Yeah, oh, I, I I agree with
3: that. that. But I have no clue. <laughs>
0: well, we I don't want to be we don't want to be
2: on this
3: podcast. Yeah
2: um she clearly i mean it's it's a classic motif of the you know the siren the witch takes on the the hideous witch takes on the form of something beautiful and attractive and then right when she's got you in her snare the sirens from odyssey etc you know lure you to your death
3: see and that's what i'd want to be
2: yeah i i i would too yeah, it would when... be so
3: much fun
2: <laughs> so fun being
0: bad ariel literally wakes up and you know walks down the stairs to the news that eric is now engaged and she thinks it's with her but it's <laughs> so sad it
1: breaks my heart every time yeah, so oh.
0: it's like you got engaged to somebody you met that day <laughs>
3: uh, why does nobody ever How did I know that? Philip would say that Philip and his frozen references. Oh, I
1: love it. And it's so funny because it's a testament to that whole like, oh, Ariel is infatuated with this guy that she only saw once. Like nobody turns it around the other way. Like, I mean, I guess, of course he's, you know, he's under a spell. So I guess that's probably why. But Mm -hmm. like, yeah, he marries a girl that he's probably not really talked to, maybe at all.
2: If my life got saved by a woman from the sea, and then she revealed herself to me and said, she loved me as much as I and my soul loved her. I'd say, what are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> it's-
3: fair, boy, fair boy. He kind of has, um, so like Ariel has observed him. It's kind of like when you, okay, this is so annoying. I used to be obsessed with that show Millionaire Matchmaker on Bravo. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Whoever is listening in the conversation has the power when you're dating, right? Because you're learning things about them. So if she observed him from afar before he knew who she was on the ship, okay, that whole time, then he's the only one talking for three days and like obsessed with going on dates with her. That means that she's learning and finding this infatuation When he's just getting to know her, she already is knowing him. Ooh. So, like, it's kind of like he tried for so, so long. Or Mm -hmm. she tried for so long, and then, like, he's just catching up. So, really, she's, like, ten steps ahead of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I wonder if, like, she thought maybe she would figure out some way. I mean, there's... Plenty of alternative ways of communicating besides just through voice. Um, Body language. (laughs) Body language. (laughs) I was thinking maybe she, I was thinking she maybe wouldn't even, yeah, sign like, you know.
1: She uh, tries it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even not even using like your larynx, maybe using just like um, sinus (laughs)
2: cavities.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The lady who voiced uh, E.T., for example. Oh, no. <laughs> you know wow boom boom yeah i mean
2: um, well and there and there's something obviously enchanting about you know meeting meeting a woman and and she can well if she can like well, if, if she if you can't speak then what happened and like you know how to like you're you're clearly here for a reason and you're enchanting and you're into me and it's like i'm mean, and how can i help you and like you know how how can how can i get to know you despite your handicap mm-hmm. honestly yeah, um, I and just so love that,
1: how, yeah, he's so accommodating and like no questions asked. He's like, I don't need to know the story behind your trauma. I just want to help you out. And I like, I love that. Like, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: let see. It's good stuff. Ursula's oh uh, design kind of evolved from being like either a lionfish, which is all full of yeah, those like wasis. spines. Um, yeah, scorpion fish or a puffer fish. Um, it evolved into the, the tentacle- Creature uh and then, like they'd played with thin versus heavy, and just thought that you know ha- having her being a little on the heavier side was more interesting, and I thought it was kind of a cool we, we there are a lot of like just skinny, wiry witches out there,
2: and they did that with Morgana in the sequel then she Ursula's
1: was uh... crazy sister <laughs>
2: crazy yeah
1: <sister>. uh... <laughs> uh...
0: um, yeah, the Let's see the resolution of this film, you know, where uh, the curse thankfully is broken. I mean, I guess they break that little conch shell or the nautilus that Vanessa's carrying around her neck so that that releases the voice. Um, But Ariel's unable to kiss Eric in time, you know, on the third day before sunset. So she gets sent back to her mermaid form. Um, Of course, all this was a ploy to um, get back at Triton um, so that Triton would hand over his power, his trident to Ursula. Uh, And ultimately, you know, Ursula's vanquished um, and (laughs) all this work Ultimately, for Triton to just be like, Oh, I guess I'll transform you into I'll give you what you want because I literally have the power to do that. And it's like we went through all this rigmarole just so you know Ariel could finally get what she wants with barely, like
1: the Wizard of Oz, you know? yeah, the barely power any was effort within you the whole time. You just had to kind of open yourself up to see that it was possible.
0: Uh, she needed to prove to her father, the one who truly loved her, uh, that this was what she wanted and and what she perhaps deserved in life. And, and, you know, unfortunately, there were some hurdles along the way. But um, yeah, I think a lot of times we have to learn important lessons in life the hard way. uh, But then we thankfully discover that no, there's, (laughs) there's easier ways to go about this, you don't have to be, you know, white knuckling.
2: The, uh your life as you're going through it <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate but we wouldn't have good stories if people didn't fail to communicate so that's where totally. drama comes from
0: <laughs>
2: yeah hey dad i'm in love with this human oh you are let's go meet him and find out what kind of a man he is thanks dad that's bum, bum 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 but end credits yeah um
0: I don't know anything further with the uh, with that whole resolution.
1: Yeah, I mean those final lines from Sebastian, where he—I I love that it's like a complete one hundred and eighty of what he said earlier, and like the you give them an inch, they swim all over you. And then he turns around and he's like, "Children have got to be free; they're to lead their own lives." And like you always say that. And that was that was a Howard edition again, where I yeah. I don't remember what the original line was, but he was like, eh, "I don't like whatever that is. I kind of want to make this more of a." Uh, resolution between both uh, both what Ariel's been going through mm-hmm. and what Triton's been going through and what Sebastian's been going through, kind of yeah. tying up all these loose ends and with, with so succinctly too, just like with one line like
0: mm-hmm. effective use of dialogue i mean animation is all about economy of storytelling because you're trying to get as much information across in the drawings as possible, but then dialogue can supplement the. Uh, effectively, and I, I often love the dialogue that they use in in these films because it just feels very fresh and very, um, yeah, it's it's, it's all very uh, deliberate, yeah. um, and it doesn't dumb down to kids. They they do. They're not afraid to use like big words. Um, the, Ursula refers to Ariel as a precious commodity at one point. It's like kids aren't going to understand like the complex undersea politics of this situation, this bargain.
1: Yeah. Contract law in a Disney movie? <laughs> like who would have thought? Yeah. I, I, I love that they call it, and my favorite line from the Broadway show, they call it a squid pro quo. I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh,
2: <So> good.
0: <laughs> Pretty clever. <sighs> yeah. So just great stuff all around and you know i don't know i i don't I, I i feel like when it comes to the direct-to-video sequels so much of it is just like so um trite and amateur <laughs> um so, so cringe such
1: disappointment and <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, even if some of the ideas I think are are good, it, it, there's just not. Um, we should maybe mention um, some of the talent behind the animation. Um, Andreas Deja or Deja mm-hmm. is the animator of Triton, the supervising animator. Ariel shared two supermi- supervisors uh, being. Glenn Keane, who had previously supervised animation on Elanwi in the Black Cauldron, um, and then Mark Hen, who would go on to supervise characters like Belle and um, Jasmine. Um, and then Glenn Keane would kind of do some more complex characters like uh like Beast. Um, and I think he Aladdin. I think he was a supervisor on Aladdin, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Keane had a lot to say in this. Documentary that we watched, um, and he's um, clearly he knows his stuff uh, very well. Um, I I really found Ariel's look to be a fresh kind of a, a update on the classic, you know, Alice or Cinderella or you know Wendy. She's she's very young. She's sixteen. You know, similar to Elanwi, I feel like that character was kind of a test run, like a blonde test run for, for Ariel. Ariel's, she's her design is also pretty exaggerated and very caricatured compared to most other princesses, I feel. She's got that massive forehead, that crazy hair, giant eyes, but it looks good. It works.
1: It's a very memorable design too. like I know they spent a lot of time figuring out the right color combinations for her hair her outfit her tail just to Mm. get the most striking thing and I, I feel like they really hit something that like when you see red and purple and green you know exactly what character that is now it's like yeah it's it's so recognizable. And with her, and with her face too, I, I was going to mention this, like, it is kind of interesting. She kind of looks like Jody, but also, um, they did have, um, a live action reference model who was from Animaniacs, uh, Sherry Stoner. She was Slappy Squirrel among, uh, uh, writing a lot for that show. And, um, I think they also had one for Eric too, Joshua Finkel. Um, and they did a lot yeah. of like live action work, like in kind of makeshift costumes as the characters, just kind of acting out scenes and the the animators would study them out because this is something that disney used to do all the time with uh uh aurora and maleficent and other characters too and it's it's a cool thing and i don't know if they continue to do it to this day like i um or maybe they just really study their their voice actors and see what mannerisms they can find there but I yeah. I really like seeing whatever clips I can find of Sherry Stoner I think it makes for great mm-hmm. character practice for me when I'm embodying Ariel too just um mm-hmm. seeing what movements she does as a
3: living breathing person
1: that made yeah. it into the cartoon
3: yeah we talked about that last time with Margaret Carey mm-hmm. too and Tinkerbell
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah yeah they're the, the,
0: the I'm, I'm trying to figure out who supervised uh, Ursula and I'm on an article here. They're mentioning Chris Buck, you know, director oh, of Frozen, yeah. Rob Minkoff, co-director of the Lion King. Um, and, and also Glenn Keane who played a part in bringing Ursula to life. Who um, who's see animator Ruben Aquino ended up doing the final design and the I'm final sure. animation. Um, that that ring a bell ruben aquino Mm -hmm. Uh, anyways yeah it takes uh, an army (laughs) to get these films made honestly yeah and like with the character referencing nowadays there's a lot of video that is taken by the animators them just kind of playing out the actions themselves um yeah they did hire actors sherry stoner wasn't she like the wife of the musical composer for Animaniacs as well. I believe
1: so, yeah. I think that's where, they might've met there, I, yeah. yeah. But she's, it's so sad, she's not involved in the new um, reboot. I, they didn't even ask her back, so I was like really hmm. heartbroken to see that on her social media, I'm like, oh. They,
0: they gotta bring back Slappy.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's such a great part of the show and all her jokes and stuff, and they just kind of retired the character unceremoniously. I'm like, oh.
0: Hmm. So disappointing. Are you pondering what I am pondering? Um, Let's see. Thank you guys so much for chatting about The Little Mermaid. And there's so much to talk about with this film. But um, we'll wrap it up for now and reconvene at a later point. It was so great to have you on the show, Lara. (laughs) You came more than prepared. I'm so grateful.
1: So happy to be here. This was so much fun. I just love geeking out about my favorite movie with fellow film disney geeks it's, it's mm-hmm. always a great time
0: <laughs> well i see a lot of i see a lot of parallels uh, with uh your fascination with uh little Mar- mermaid and my own with of course frozen upon which this podcast uh gets it's name stake. Mm.
2: (laughs) uh dawson you're gonna say something uh just i'm always impressed when people know so many of the background facts you know names and dates and stuff Uh, that's that's awesome so yeah and thank wonderful insight
0: yeah and good luck
2: becoming ariel
1: thank you it's it's the dream i auditioned a couple times during quarantine for the parks overseas and Waiting wow. to hear back, but I don't, I don't really if you, keep,
2: you If you keep getting so far, then that's a clear indication you're doing something right. So oh, yeah, well, you keep you. at it. You can almost get a tattoo if you don't you know, already. You know? And then I, they're I like, might, all right, right, take off the shirt and put on the seashells. What's that a tattoo? You're fired. I
1: uh, can't have tattoos. Of the Disney character, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> Philip. Uh, no, I, I totally get it. Yeah, those. Uh, um, roles at at the parks, you know, unless you're wearing like a bodysuit or something. Um, Yeah, Hannah, any final thoughts?
3: You know, I am just so glad that Lara finally came on the podcast, Mm -hmm. the Thodcast. Um, And I really think that we need more characters like Ariel, and I'm excited for um, this new generation to get to explore that in the new movie coming out. And I'm really excited for... Um, Disney to keep evolving um, and creating more characters like her that are explorative and um, kind of redeem themselves and show themselves into so many different light and have so much relatability. So I thought she was fun. Fun movie, Philip.
2: You, uh, Laura, you set out to um, modernize a fairy tale and found out that Disney had already done it um i mean yeah. it has every it has everything a classic for it 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 captures all the great archetypes and themes that any good fairy tale does and in a, in a delightfully 1989 way mm-hmm. it, you know a-
0: ashman was probably the main creative i mean it's hard to say but like he's kind of the spirit who breathed the life into uh a lot of these characters with the just with that incredible musical inspiration, and um it, yeah, it's tragic loss um went with his passing in the early nineties, but uh at least we have these incredible testaments to that talent that just intuition for me like these films they they don't have to be this kind of paint by numbers, you know meet various criteria, we need to make sure we check this box and this box and make sure characters meet certain, I don't know, diversity requirements. It all just like flows together in one cohesive whole and feels it's really so fulfilling to see these characters and their arcs play out in as satisfying a way as they do. Um, It's it's rare to see that happen. I think it just requires a, a very organic approach to bringing these characters to life. It's creating the illusion of life. Um, And uh, I'm I'm happy to see that whenever it shows its face in film. Um, The Little Mermaid from 1989, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Check it out on Disney Plus. And um, with that, uh, I'm your host, Philip Elke, on the THODcast, you can find the THODcast uh, thoughtcast.com. Uh, Laura, is there any social media you would like to plug?
1: Um, I'm at Laura Call on most places. You can just find me there. Um, yeah, support your local theater places as well. Just mm. keep the arts thriving. That's all I have to say about
3: that.
0: <laughs> all right, Hannah.
3: Um, So I'm Ham Smart on Twitter. That's where I've been uh, running my mouth these days. It's really fun. Um, And if you're looking for um, places to support for the holidays, um, Pretty Princess Parties is um, doing lots of little things to keep little ones interested. If you have like a little one, um, you can kind of find it out more at prettyprincesspartiesusa.com. We do lots of um, fun things for families too.
2: Dawson, anything? Um, You can look me up wherever you want. My name's Dawson Elkey. I might be there, I might not be. At Thoughtcast on
0: Twitter and Instagram if you would like to catch up with us there. And uh, as always, you will have a magical day and a wonderful week. Warm hugs.